My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking Podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support the podcast, for as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. My guest should be familiar to some of you all. She was actually on season four, where we talked a lot about leadership and actually one of the most popular episodes to date. My guest is a director of user experience at Google, and she joins us today. Her name is Astagar. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be back and very excited to be talking to you again. I'm always happy to have you back on the show. I really appreciate your insight. And we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into AI. And so we know that AI is really popular right now, especially when we start thinking about it from a mainstream perspective. You log on to LinkedIn, you log on to Twitter, right? You see nothing but threads around Lens AI, ChatGPT. And I'm excited to really dive into it because in concept, some of these ideas aren't really new. It's just that now we're starting to see it more of a commercial sort of approach to it. But before we get into that, let's do like a quick catch up. I think we were deep in the pandemic or I think we were still actually having lockdowns last time we were talking. Number one, I got to ask you, how's the dance studio going? Because that was an angle that I did not expect our discussion to go down. I actually ended up selling the share of my dance studios to my co-founder because honestly she was doing most of the work at this point but i continue to visit and continue to enjoy the studios so the question that i had asked asta was what was something she was obsessed with and she was getting into dancing and it was actually a pole dancing studio and right. i asked could you teach me or what should i try to do and i was like wow i did not expect that angle so have you started to develop any new hobbies or new obsessions oh yes always always Right now, I'm trying to teach myself Arabic, and that's only because I started watching this show, Dubai Bling, on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And it's a reality show. It's like the Kardashians, but in Dubai, and half the show is in Arabic, and it's just such a beautiful language that it inspired me. So that's something that I've been trying to do, and I've been getting back into photography because that's been a hobby that I've done on and off. What type of photography in particular? Oh, I like to say that it's, I photograph relationships and I know mm. that it's super vague, but really what I like to do is photograph people relating with each other. So whether that is a couple or a family or friends or whatever that might be, because my style is to just give people prompts to just be who they are with each other while I capture or try to capture that emotion and that moment. Are they, do they consenting to this or is this more or less like still life, natural kind of things. Not consenting to it. It's <laughs> actually the funniest thing because usually I, I do it with friends mostly because it's yeah. easier than working with strangers and clients. I don't want to get into that sure. just because I don't have time for it. But usually it's the women who drag their partners into it and the men screaming and kicking are like, oh, I don't like to pose. I don't know how to pose. 
I don't want to yeah. do this. But the way I do it, I don't ask anyone to pose. I just, it's things like you give them the prompt, like if someone is having a baby soon, tell her a prayer or a wish for your baby. Mm -hmm. And while they're doing that, I will stand far away from them that I cannot hear it, but a lens that's powerful enough to capture what I need to capture in the moment. Mm -hmm. Just get the most beautiful human connections that way. Ah, it's so fun. Wow. Wow. I love that. Look here, it sounds like you're going to need to take my wedding photos. Oh, yes. I'd love to. Wait, let's get into the discussion. How about this? Let's start with AI. What is it? Oh, what is it? There is just so much hype around it right now, right? But it's something that's been a part of just how tech works for the last couple of years. I think the big difference now is that if you really think about technology in these two categories of consumer products or consumption products rather, and creation products, AI has now come to creation products. What is AI? AI is basically from the consumer's point of view, you are not, you are giving up a lot of control. You are starting with a prompt and you are not sure exactly what the reaction is going to be. And on the other side, I know you're not asking me for a scientific explanation, but I'll just quickly say it. On the other side, it's not a deterministic set of answers, right? So it's not like there isn't, there are many if-then statements behind the scene. It's not like you're always going to get the same answer. The system has learned enough using models to give you the best possible answer based on your prompt. And that might be different every single time because, like I said, it's not deterministic in nature. So it's not a one path. It's basically right. a web, like your brain and neurons fighting together and things connect in different ways based on how you're doing it. But yeah, it has become popular now that it has gone from consumption products to now creation products, which mm. is when it really picked up. When I say creation products, you could upload your photos and get portraits. Or you can talk to ChatGPT and it tells you, it writes an essay for you. So it's creating things for you. Versus earlier, you were just consuming the results of AI as a part of Google search algorithm, let's just say. So yeah. I really believe that's why it has become this really hyped thing because people can now see the power of it because it's in their right. head as they create things. Growing up, we always saw these sort of futuristic, if you will, ideas of what artificial intelligence is, specifically when it comes to, like you said, like the consumer side, the creation piece. And it feels like we've, there's always this idea of the uncanny valley, right? Of having this avatar that looks like you, but not quite you. And it feels like we've gotten over that, right? It's like, we're attracted to this. There's this direct interpretation in terms of, let's say, what I look like, there's this relatable voice that we're starting to see that yeah. now we're starting to connect to. Was there any sort of, is this something that we expected to happen? Or was the reception more than anything a surprise in your... I think this happens with any new technology. It's even if you go back to really like very primitive things, what we would think of as primitive right now, like the internet, for example, because I grew up in India, where the internet came pretty late. In the yeah. beginning, it's just seemed scary or people hypothesize that it's not going to have wide adoption because yeah. it doesn't fit in the current mental models or it disrupts the current mental models in some ways, which 
seen life changing. So there's just the change aversion aspect of it. And of course, all of those movies, I'm forgetting the name right now, but there was that Will Smith movie. There are all these movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With I robot. Yeah, that's right. Because especially for AI and back then, any of these technology robots, the idea was that it's going to take over and it's going to do these things to mankind that we don't expect. But I do believe that technology a lot of times follows a natural progression of how mental models are evolving. And mm. typically younger people are early adopters of a lot of new technology, but they tend to be trends that come more than trends and actually become a part of your life. And then younger people start. So for our generation, Gen Z starts with it or they started with it. Like now there are much younger generations than Gen Z too. And then millennials do it. And then Gen X does it. And then it goes from there and it just becomes an inherent part of how you live your life. And we just get used to it in a way that we couldn't have imagined five years ago because the, our mental model just Everything else was not put in place for us to get to this point. So if you think about, again, if you just think about something like Lensa, all the context around like TikTok filters, any of these things, or the deep fakes that first started coming out, it builds up from there, right? It's like the frog that boils in the water slowly versus dropping you in boiling water. So that's the same analogy here, that people just get more used to the idea as a mental model's change with technology and context that evolves. Yeah. So basically you're saying there's now more acceptance than ever. Right. I will say this though, there's also like a conversation threads that are happening of specifically around design. Is it going to replace designers? Like, what is your thought on that? It's not just design, right? It's, is it going to replace designers? Is it going to replace writers? This conversation seems so familiar to me as someone who started out in graphic design. Yeah. And used to work in print. So anyone who was around my age, we probably were illus doing illustration or graphic design because UX design wasn't a thing back then. And there was this whole thing of, are books dead? Is there going to be any print design when there was a digital revolution back then. And I know I'm like aging myself here, but just go with it for a second. I think it is, I can absolutely see why it is threatening to people. The way I look at it, and everyone has their own opinions. Here's mine. My opinion is that AI is absolutely going to reduce the need for some many manual tasks yeah. that many different professions do. It will also start doing some creative tasks. I do think for many years, though, AI will continue to play a co-pilot role in creative fields. I yeah. think if I would say on creative should see this as a really good change because it should supercharge them in what they do by automating a lot of the just the slog tasks that they have to go through and them still adding their creativity on top of that. That said, I know people have different opinions on this and I respect that. Two things are at the top of my mind right now. So number one, I think we should think of it as a tool. And it reminds me, I'm pretty sure you remember in Photoshop how you could create like scripts and you press the play uh -huh. button and it would help. But there is a younger designer that is on my Instagram that shared a story of them going to the computer science museum and them having a gallery for Adobe and what was in the gallery. It was all of the boxes, the original boxes of Photoshop and Dreamweaver behind glass. And I was like, are we really at that age? 
<laughs> we were using her now in museum. Just a funny moment. Just a funny. Oh, that's that's awesome. And that's really that's a really awesome story. I'll tell you another. I'll tell you another one because I see what you mean. And also, I was thinking about it. How just I just thinking about Photoshop for a second. I was thinking yeah. about things like Canva, right? There's a whole hype yeah. about because in the past people have used Photoshop for designers, yeah. but also other people have used it for making products that they for sure. And Canva now does that for you. And then just yesterday, I heard about someone who's signed up for college and the major is like psychology. And they're yeah. also taking a Photoshop class. And I was really surprised about that. Like, yeah. why Photoshop class and why have they signed up for it? And they said, no, you know what? It's actually seen as a pretty critical skill. This is someone who's like Gen Alpha, like not even Gen sure. Z. And they said, oh, it's really popular. It's a very full class. There, there are a lot of people. I don't know what that says about Photoshop, but that is a piece of software that refuses to go away. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it refuses to go away. Yeah, it's impressive. I will say if there were two worlds that could collide, I think having like something like ChatGPT integrate with a Canva yeah. would be massively transformative. I'm sure you've been in a situation where you've worked with a client and they want all of these assets. So you can imagine that really expediting that process. I think it's a great idea. I think you should build it, honestly. Yeah. Just do it. I, I want I to. I want idea. to. Hey, if there's anyone listening that is motivated, please feel free to hit me up. I've got a whole little sign-up form on Technically Speaking HW. Oh, right. I hope that- You're actually working on AI projects. Maybe you could give listeners kind of a background and like, what does that entail specifically from a design perspective? Yes, yes. And I would love to give a little bit of a context about my role. So I lead the customer engagement team at Google. It is our customer experience team within ads, basically. So we do sales support, and marketing for advertisers. I work on the systems that enable these three things, obviously. And then we also do support for pretty much most of Google, except for a few things like cloud and such. So it's a vertical and a horizontal team. So something that I've, we've been working on is just thinking about, as you think about, as you can imagine, in all of these domains, they are pretty limited domains in that there are certain things that you would expect to get when you're talking to someone to get support or sales or marketing, right? So they're limited domains in many ways. It's not AI, ask AI anything and everything. That wouldn't make right. sense. But at the same time, there is a large breadth within those domains because let's just say as you are thinking about getting support from Google, there's just so many different ways in which this could be approached. There is also large just systems in place to enable all these processes at any large company, as you can imagine, right? Sales has to be a connection of the actual CRM system that is that this sales team is using. Then of course there are the people on the sales team. There is the, it's it has their incentive structure. Then there is the customer on the other end. There is the product that the customer is themselves using. And then there are all the organizational structures and that's just sales. And then that, that times how many ever for everything else. Right. So if you think about the space, we recognize that there is a great opportunity here because see the, like if I'm being very reductive and please no one take this literally, I'm being very reductive in saying this, but the whole difference between AI and de deterministic technology that we, as we know it, is that with deterministic technology, there is a limit to how much coding we can do. 
right? Because mm. you cannot write if-then statements for every single thing that could happen forever. That is the big thing that AI has unlocked, that you don't mm. need that anymore. Yeah. It basically learns and then it gives you the answer without a programmer having to deterministically say, do this if the person does this and do this if the system does this. So in a reductive way, that is the big difference. So we saw that there is a lot of white space for application of AI in sales and marketing and support systems to make the customer experience a lot better than what it was when we first started thinking about this a couple of years ago, yeah? So in a very quick example of this, because I know it can mean so many things, and sure. there are so many different applications of this, but let's just talk about a quick examples or a few examples to make this real. A very obvious one is a chatbot for support. We right. have all those experiences. A lot of chatbots that are out there in the market have not been AI in the past. They are deterministic. That is why we've had frustrating experiences with them, right? Like Go through they, a loop. Yeah, exactly. At some point, it's just like they run out of things to say because right. they programmed to say these five things. If you say these five things, you mm. say anything that's not a part of that list that has been programmed, then you're out of luck. Mm. So that's an example where AI could be useful because it you don't need to program every single thing. So it works there. Another example is just, um, let's say for a person who works in sales, if they're thinking about, okay, how am I, what is happening with this client? How can I help them best? AI can just Tell them that answer way quicker than right. have code that runs through that entire complex system and then tells them the answer. AI can catch things that uh, that technology in a deterministic world might not have been able to catch. So, for example, when COVID happened, no one expected that it would happen. So no mm. one would have programmed things to catch the spikes and the, the peaks and valleys that happened because of COVID. In the finance world, in advertising performance, and I don't know, the reach of an Instagram account or whatever. But AI doesn't need to be pre-programmed, so it can catch that. So that's just another example of another application. So that's basically what we've been doing. So if I can summarize that, the opportunity is the fact that you've already had this marketplace of sales, customer support. They're able to certain interface, and obviously that data is logged somewhere. And so there's a huge opportunity of working within those bounds to be able to automate that process. And that's great. Cause I think that baseline is actually really important here. And then correct me if I'm wrong. It also feels from an experience perspective, when you start having these applications of AI, maybe the question doesn't need to be precise from the person that's putting it in. And so it can be a lot more relevant and potentially just more personalized, right? I think that's a big thing that's missing when we go through these deterministic sort of experiences. Exactly. You nailed it. You nailed it. You don't have to ask things in the specific way because right. people don't, right? Even for simple things like, or seemingly simple things like, I bought something on the Play Store and I'm trying to get a refund. You would think that people might say, get a refund. They don't always say, get a refund. They even say, Tell me about refunds. Do mm. they want to understand how refunds work or do they want a refund? So it's just like all these different qualities that you are able to tackle better or qualities right. with language that you are prompts, intent that you're able to tackle better 
with AI than with traditional deterministic flow. So tell me, like, what is the design sort of interaction of facilitating these types of experiences? Yeah, I think so. I'll start with something that's very broad. And it was one of the first things we did. And it's more from a very strategic and drawing a vision point of view. One thing that we wanted to make sure, and we had pretty broad agreement on this, but we wanted to crystallize, right? As UXers, that whole idea of you are the keeper of the user experience, right? So how do we make sure that in this exercise of using technology, how do we not become technology forward and how do we say customer back, right? So what I mean by that, if people are not familiar is, there are like two approaches you can take, right? There is this technology and you're just like, I'm going to launch as many things as possible with this technology because I know it works and let's see what sticks and what doesn't stick, right? And I'm not saying there is an objective, good or bad approach, but for us, the approach that was better because we are the customer engagement team, because if you think about it, when people come to us, especially like in the support experience, they are not in a great mental state. They come to support because they either, they're trying to troubleshoot or they're trying to get educated about something. There's usually a problem that they're trying to solve. So we cannot be in the state of, let's give them like 10 things to play with and see what happens and see what works. So the other approach is customer back. So what that means is you always start from a customer problem or customer goal, customer need, customer dream, whatever, right? It doesn't have to be a negative thing, positive. And you start from there and then you make the technology work and make the technology do what it needs to do to solve that customer problem. So we knew pretty early on that we wanted to be customer back, not technology forward in this case. And what we did was we established a North Star called customer first. And the whole idea behind customer first is that the customer is always first. So we start with what is it that the customer needs? And then we think about, okay, how do we solve this problem with this new technology? And very practically, and how this then breaks down into, okay, what are the, what are the teams doing or what are the designers doing, what are the researchers doing and so on. First, meaning are we measuring the customer experience in a way that makes sense for every single thing that we are doing? Or do we have the right benchmarks that we're trying to get to? And it's not easy. That's one of the things which when we first started doing this, we thought that it would be the same as doing other design projects, right? Like you have metrics for other projects, so we continue to do that. But do we need to do we need to consider other metrics when we are designing for AI technology? For example, do we need to measure trust? Because talking to an agent is very different than talking right. to a chatbot. People right. have a picture of a chatbot in their head already because for many years in the industry, that's been a not so great experience. So yeah. do we measure trust. Do we measure how much effort they have to put in? Do we attempt to minimize the amount of effort because that is what the AI is doing for them? So we had to put in a lot of thought into what are the right metrics to measure that are customer first and suitable for this new technology. That makes sense. So that was one. Then there there were other things that we had to go through and uh, do a lot of research on. So an example is personalization. So as you can imagine, with AI, you can do a lot of personalization. We are very respectful of what is the data that we're using and where, right? Now, support data, people 
usually to give you the data when they're trying to get support, right? But still, we wanted to make sure even if some even if someone is telling us information about them in a chat, do they feel weirded out that a robot is answering yeah. their questions like it knows about them? Yeah. And wow. That was really interesting and answer that we did not have right away. So we did a lot of research on that. What does personalization look like? How does AI impact personalization? Just a perceived creepiness factor. And is it different for a domain like support? And not that this matters to anyone else, but I will say that in some domains, it's actually a lot more accepted in other domains, right? So, of course, if you're reaching out for support, I, all of us have had that experience. We call a bank yeah. and the bank is like, what's your credit card number? And you're like, you have my number. Why are right. you asking? This? Yeah. Unless security verification or something. So we have to do a lot of research on, on, on these kind of things, right? Then yeah. to me, so Google has published their, their AI principles. It's called pair with .google. That is the domain name if people are not familiar. Yeah. So we followed them. But exactly what does it mean, right? So one thing that it says is basically that you should be like transparent that if AI is being used, which totally makes sense. Right. But then we thought about, okay, so if it's a chatbot, what does it mean to be transparent? Do you name it? Does it, is it enough to use, do we use the assistant brand? Is it a new brand? Do we, is it a proper name? Do we give it a brand and a logo that it, that people recognize? Or does that get in the way of the experience? Mm-hmm. How do we make super clear through the design because in support, as an example, many times you're talking to a robot and then it transfers you to a human. Transition as clear as it can be without disrupting the experience because that is fairness that you have to maintain too, that it cannot just be, for the sake of transparency, you cannot actually create a jerky experience between those two things. How do you make sure the human now has all the context that they need as quick as possible so they're not asking you questions that are repetitive in nature? So those are just some examples of design research, conversation design, content strategy, branding, all of it coming together. Experience design, full-on experience design, which I find like really fascinating because it goes back to the central principles of design, right? It's less... It's actually less about the aesthetic side of it. And as you mentioned, more around like building trust. I think what's, I think what's like really fascinating with all this, right? It's like you all are dealing with like massive scale, right? And so I think maybe what, what's the benefit on the other side for you all as a business? Is it more or less like more efficiency, obviously happy customers, like generally like how is that thought of in terms of success? Yes. The benefit for us is customer success. And this is. I know there's something that I should, should have said in the beginning, but if people yeah. are not aware, it's going to sound very obvious, but I'll say it anyway. If people are not aware, Google is a big company and I'm yeah. only speaking for my part of what we are working on. What I'm yeah. saying does not apply to every single team out there. I don't know what they're doing. I, everyone is, obviously we connect on some things, but other things have to be different by domain, obviously, because... Mm. What we're doing is very different from a self-driving car, just as a super extreme example. And there are ranges in between. But anyway, yes, for us, it's all about customer satisfaction. This is, and this is why I was saying that it's all about trends and the context evolving. One of the things that happened um, with Gen Z, around the time when Gen Z was, let's say, like late teens, right? We saw that there was a big technology shift where people wanted to be more 
self-sufficient with technology. It starts with a lot of, they're creating a lot of things. They're not just consuming things online. Mm -hmm. There's just more creators in Gen Z population than let's say even millennial population, right? A lot of people were more consumption-based than creation-based. So one of the things we saw is people just wanted more self-sufficiency. And that means something very obvious for our use case. People want to solve their own problems. They don't want to talk to someone to solve a problem. Versus in some other places, people actually prefer talking to a human. They trust a human more. That was not the case. And we saw that trend was becoming a persistent, persistent thing. And it wasn't a trend that's going to fall back down. We also saw this happen a lot with, it's not just Gen Z. It started with that audience, but then it spread. Other people started doing it. Other countries started doing it. So as you look at other markets and as we want to scale, we want to do this. So really it starts from the customer insight that people want to be more self-sufficient. So to enable them to be more self-sufficient, this is a technology that lets us do that. Now, then how do we make sure that we are using this technology in the best way? That's why our North Star comes back to customer first. And our main goal is customer success. And that's why that's what we measure with every single launch. Yeah. So I love that we started from customer first. What is a world when you start technology first? I could totally see why this needs to happen. Yeah. But if you think about it, I've been reading a lot of Twitter threads about ChatGPT because it's about if ChatGPT, everyone wants to use it. No one knows how to use it. So here are 10 ways in which you can do it. Yeah. It, it sounds like I'm joking. You an article 1,000 times already. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Technology first. There's so many examples on Twitter right now. There's this really cool technology. I am just going to see what are the 20 things I can do with it. And there is nothing wrong with that. That's what I mean by there's, there's nothing wrong with that approach. That's fine. But what Mm. happens is the ones that we hear about and the ones that succeed are the ones that find that product market fit. And usually it it finds a product market fit only when customers connect with the thing, when there is a customer benefit. So I would say there are many pros and cons, but the big difference there is technology first, you typically innovate faster because you can produce things faster because you're not thinking about whether this is going to work or not. You're just like, Here's a launch and here's another and here's another and here's another. And you see what works, what doesn't work. Customer first, there's a little bit more of a guarantee that it's going to probably work for the customer because you are starting from. from. One of the things that I can appreciate about this discussion is that you all are working within the support realm. We found really great sort of use cases. You're using obviously your own data. I mean, I think like one of the, one of the things that topics that have come out of all of this, especially on the generative side is around the ethics of it all, because, you know, from journalists work being stolen from a chat GPT perspective, even from like visual creators and artists whose work, parts of their work have been used to create these different visualizations. Is this something that's here to stay? I completely empathize with this whole work stream, right? Because Like I said, I come from the print graphic design world, right? So like green printed posters myself and stuff. I was never an artist. I wouldn't call myself that, but I can understand the frustration that can come with your work being used without credit, especially because it's for all the reasons that we know. I do think that's a pretty big problem that is largely unsolved at this Mm -hmm. point. You are right. Some companies, just larger companies have more data that they own, first party data, right? Data owned by them. 
that they can train models on and more so in some domains than others. Other people, especially some like some smaller companies, if they're just creating like a photo creation app and whatnot, they don't have data that they own. So they are using whatever, wherever they're getting data from for creating these models because you, that's the thing with AI. You have to train the models on something right. basically, right? So if you're training the models on something that is not owned by you and you're not giving the source credit, which I can also see is hard to do because it's probably like thousands of, or more, right? Tens of thousands of that you're training things on. How do you give the right credit so that you are not stealing, basically? The point of leaving out credit, it's theft. It's a problem that has not been solved. I personally think we have to figure out a way to compensate people yeah. or it has to be maybe like an opt-in thing or some way to do it because i just think it is unethical personal opinion again caveat yeah. personal opinion i think it's unethical to train models on third party second party data without consent yeah and make profit of some kind yeah. or even out without giving credit to the source because really that's what helped you generate the result yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think it's a really interesting time that we're getting into, especially in this world, as you mentioned, where a lot of folks are creating for themselves. Yeah. It creates a very interesting sort of dynamic of getting to market faster with ideas and experimentation. Even when we start thinking about centralized, decentralized, does that even solve the issue? There's still an, an open, still an open question. It's an um, open yeah. So it'll really be fascinating to see. I do think at least on the enterprise side of things, it will be fascinating to see how that changes industry. Mm -hmm. Obviously there are things that are already happening. Thank you so much for sharing. If there's somebody that was looking to get into this, like what are some things top of mind people should always have? Yes, I, it's a really good question. I think people have to get really good at separating out the hype from what is real. And the way to do that is to consume a lot of content. So that's the first thing that I would say that if just become knowledgeable about AI and applications of AI out there, I think it is helpful to look at the Twitter threads and all the technology and the products and play with them. But I think it's also helpful to look at just academic papers on it. I know it's a little bit drier and possibly boring to see some of them, but I think it gives, it gives a more grounded and objective understanding of the space and might help people separate out the, like I said, the hype from like what is there to stay. That's one. I think the other thing is, as we are going through these experiences and really I think it's opinion, I don't think this is just a hype, right? I think this is going to stay. Like, this is how technology is going to evolve going forward. It is very important to skill up in the core concepts of AI, even ML. So there are so many courses on the usual platforms where you can learn stuff, including YouTube and there's others, Coursera, whatever. So if someone is trying to get into this, I think it's very important to understand what is actually AI and how it reached a point where it did. So just that basic understanding is important. That is because I am, I call myself a learner and that's how I approach things. <laughs> it might not seem like the most practical way to learn about stuff, but I think it is helpful because Especially in the design world, sometimes we can ignore the technology aspect of it, but it's important to learn that. I think the last thing, which I said in the first one, is it's also important to try products 
yourself as much as you can and form a point of view on them. So form a point of view on them, meaning it's, think about, it's a little bit like, you have to explore the unknown unknowns, right? And that's hard to do because there are unknowns because there are unknowns. But what I mean by unknown unknowns is, in the past, the way designers have worked, some questions just have not come up that now come up with AI. We talked about ethics. We yeah. talked about trust. Like I said, how is personalization different when it's AI versus old tech? It's very important to think about what might those unknowns be as people are playing through those products and those apps and getting that experience themselves. Asa, thank you so much for really taking us through that, some really fascinating and amazing work. And can't wait to hear about more of the progress and the amazing things that you're doing over there at Google. Thank you so much, Harrison. I love talking with you. And I'm so glad that I got to do this again with you. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.